All right, now let's say just for a moment that you are now taking the next step in your life. You're relocating to another community. You've graduated, going to college somewhere. Maybe you finished college and you're about to start a career, but it's going to be in another community. You've not been there before. But you know one of the things you want to do is to decide, where will I go to church? Not just where will I go to school and what college am I going to attend, what degree will I pursue, but as a part of my experience in life, I want to make sure that I also maintain my spiritual connection with God. So when you go to that new community or you're starting a new chapter of your life, what do you look for to help you decide? How many of you have been in the process of trying to decide, moving to a new community and trying to decide what church I want to attend? A few of you, right? You've been there at one level or the other. Not every one of you or all of us have been a part of one church all of our lives. My mom went there. My grandparents went there. My great-grandparents went there. I'm going there. My kids, by golly, are going to go there. And you all go to the same church. Not everybody is like that. A lot of us, every once in a while, have the challenge of finding a new church. I have it all the time. You have no idea the amount of calls that I have of people who've relocated to another community and say to me, is there another Community Alliance church down here like ours? And my answer is always no. There isn't. Not that we're that unique and that amazing. There is no other church like ours. They're all different in one way or the other. They may be looking for different things. They may be looking for some similarities, but in so many cases, they're different. The further west you go, you will find even less and less of an opportunity to find an Alliance Church. We're heavily populated in the east, extremely heavily populated in western Pennsylvania. The further west you go, it's a little bit more difficult. Down south in the Bible Belt, you find a Baptist church on every corner. Some of them are like ours, some are not. So how do you decide? When you go to a new community, what do you look for? Most of us, when we make a purchase... We at least shop around a little bit, kind of compare. I I like this feature in that car, this dishwasher, whatever, but you'll shop around and look around. When you decided to marry someone, I, I know there's a few like that who have been dating the same person and had all of their lives, fell in love at sixth grade, like when Rerig did with Mary Lou, and have been together for the last 79 years. But for others of you, like me, you dated a lot, right? I mean, I loved dating in high school. I loved dating in college until I fell head over heels in love with a blue-eyed baby that captured my attention. And for 41 years, we've been head over heels in love, or at least that's what I say. And I'm sure she would say if she were here. But you dated other people, and all of a sudden you said, this is the one. This is the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. When you're looking for a church, how do you decide? What do you look for? What says, this is it, this is where we're going to be? How you're greeted at the door? The type of ministries that it has? The facilities, is it contemporary or traditional? Some people like the the stained glass windows, and they, they choose a church based on its architecture. A lot of people choose a church based on its ministries or the diversity of ministry. A lot of people choose a church based on its size. A lot of people like large churches for anonymity. I can come in. I can go out. I kind of want to check it out. I'm not sure about this spiritual thing. I'm not sure what it believes, but 
when I'm in a, a large church, I can kind of blend in and maybe no one will notice that I'm there. If you go to a small church, especially if you're a brand new individual, every single person welcomes you there. And one of the things they ask you is, do you teach Sunday school? Would you be willing to teach Sunday school? Do you play piano? We really need somebody to play piano. You're a visitor here today. How many children do you have? We only have two in our children's department, so we hope you have more than two. And have you ever experienced that in a small church where they're really, really happy you're there? So how do you decide what makes the decision for you? I've got three surveys. I'm not going to have them on the screen because they're so much different. I've got three surveys as to how people decide as to what church says this is where I'm going to belong. One of them is from Saddleback Alliance, Saddleback Alliance, Saddleback Church in Rick Warren's shirt, 8,000 new members on a regular basis come through, and they ask all 8,000 of them, why this church? The number one reason that they decided on a church was what? What is it? Preaching. In all three surveys, the number one or number two reason that people chose, one survey is from people who go to church, another one is from people who don't go to church. One of the unchurched choose a church that they decide to go, the number one reason in two out of these three surveys was preaching. Do you have any idea the weight that I carry with that knowledge? That people are making a decision about a church. What's fascinating on this one here, 10, 13 reasons why people in unchurched choose a church or who are previously unchurched choose a church. Worship style is down at the bottom. In this one, church people, it's near the top. People who normally go to church, that's what they're looking for. There are normally three reasons. Every year for the last 15 to 18 years, I've been asking people who are joining our church, a few Sundays from now, we're going to receive them into membership. Why us? There are a lot of great churches in town. Top three reasons are always the same, have always been the same. Biblical preaching, contemporary worship, and ministry to my children or youth. And it's always been the same. Every once in a while, relationships or we knew someone Those are all the reasons that many people pick. There are so many here. Doctrine and theology was one of the number one reasons in some of these surveys. A lot of people don't even think about that. So why us? Why did you choose us? Why are you here? What do you look for in a church? I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to use this last piece of Acts 2 as a foundation for what I believe are some of the best reasons to choose a church, to be a part of, to get connected to, and eventually belong to. Acts chapter 2, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture used to describe the early church. Some say it's the ideal church model. The outcome of the filling of the Spirit and that upper room experience that we started with a few weeks ago has such enormous impact that it drew people literally by the thousands. People that were impacted by the power of the Spirit had an impact on everyone they came in contact with. You get the weight of that? That should be true of all of us. That when God lands on me, and I know that I'm being led by the Spirit of God, and I'm allowing Him to use me, as we said the last few weeks, I've opened myself up to Him, that decision has an impact not only on my life, but on the people I come in contact with. That should still be. In this case, thousands came in contact with this 120 people, and they were 
not only impacted at that moment, but literally for all eternity. And that statement should still be true of us. Peter was a spokesperson. I believe he had impact on more than just him, but as a result of his sermon, thousands came to Christ. I said to you last Sunday morning, he challenged the crowd to see Christ differently than they did just a few weeks before that when they called for his crucifixion. Peter said to them to change their mind about Christ. God made him Lord in Christ, the King, and you need to do that as well. And if you do, and if you've done that, or if you did that, maybe some of you even last Sunday morning, it is the absolute best decision you'll ever make. Many did make that decision, changed their mind about Jesus, turned their lives over to him, and 3,000 came to faith in Christ. What you're going to see today is the outcome of that repentance. When someone commits their life to Christ, it's not enough just to say, I believe in God. In the book of James, it said, even the demons believe in God. Matter of fact, sometimes they're more afraid of him than you are. They understand who he is and his power. Jesus said, you'll know which ones are mine. All you have to do is watch them for a while. You'll know which ones are mine, not only by their love, which we always say, but by their fruit, by the evidence that they're a child of God. It's obvious. You don't have to tell people that you're a follower of Christ. Now, you need to tell people that you're a follower of Christ, but they should recognize that. They should notice something dramatic has taken place. And they can see it not by what you say, but by the life that you live. Coconut tree can claim to be a coconut tree, but it could also be a palm tree, right? Couldn't always tell the difference by the leaves, but you could tell the difference when the coconuts begin to appear. Jesus said, you're going to know which ones are mine. When God changes a heart, there are noticeable differences, not only for an individual, but at times for a whole group. Let's read it this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Those who accepted his message, his obviously being Peter, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, look at this word clearly, daily to those who are being saved. There are a few visible evidences of true repentance and spirit-filled living in this section of Scripture, and I think ought to be true of churches, not only then, but now, today. And four things that I see in this section of Scripture that I think you ought to utilize if you're trying to decide on a good church. Number one is a hunger for the Word of God. Secondly, a heart for the people of God. Third, a communing with God. They prayed and they praised in verses 42 and 47. They experienced the presence and power of God, 43 and 47, and a heart for the lost. Hunger for the Word of God, heart for the people of God, a communing with God, and a heart for the lost. If you're looking for a good church to get connected to, those are four great qualities that you ought to make sure you're looking for. Four great qualities that we need to measure ourselves by to make sure we're fulfilling what God expects of us. I want to take each one of them apart for just a moment. First one, a hunger for the Word of God, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Now, a lot of pastors would love to do with sermons on they devoted themselves to the apostles. But it wasn't a devotion to individuals. A lot of people, if they're not careful, choose a church based on a particular personality. It's going to be fascinating over the next number of years to see what happens to some of the larger churches in America with Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley and some of those. Because a lot of people have chosen to be a part of that fellowship because of that personality. And they're incredibly gifted. I think Andy Stanley's one of the most gifted communicators I've ever been around. You'll notice in here it says they didn't adhere themselves or devote themselves to the apostles, but to the apostles' teaching. Imagine what it was like to be there. I mean, these guys had Matthew, Mark, John, and Peter in their midst. That'd be a good group of people to be in fellowship with. I mean, if I had a chance to choose a church, and I knew that Peter and Matthew and Mark and John were there, I'd probably show up on Sundays. Said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's a really key element in trying to understand what it is that we need to process as we go out of this. Not to an individual, but to the apostles' teaching. You and I have the apostles' teaching. Know what it is? The Word of God. You have it in your hands. If I've changed my, t- my mind about Christ and I made him king, then I really want to know what he thinks. I've got a desire and a hunger to know him. When you commit your life to Christ and determine to follow him, you really want to know what he's like. You want to know how he thinks. You want to know what's important to him. I want to make sure that my desires, I've committed my life to Christ. I've said he's the king. And so I want to make sure my desires and his desires line up. How will you know that unless you're in what? The word of God. And so these people had to be a part of a fellowship. And you, I hope, are looking for a place where people are in the word of God. Have a hunger for the Word of God. I want to know the Word of God. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what God likes. I want to know how God reacts to certain circumstances. And one of the evidences of a Spirit-filled church and a Spirit-filled individual is that I really want to know the Word of God. I want to be in it. I want to find out what it's all about. I want to make sure that I know Him. Like the children's song that we all sang when we were little kids, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. The Apostle Paul said later, like a newborn babe, desire the pure milk of the word. That's what these people were like. They loved the word of God. They couldn't get enough. Jeremiah 15, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. They didn't do it because they were supposed to. Now that you're a believer, you better have devotions. That's what I heard when I came to faith in Christ. Now that you're a believer, you better have devotions. They wanted to have devotions. They wanted to be in the Word. That's different than doing it because I'm supposed to. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, I want to. If I've yielded myself to the Spirit of God, one of the obvious evidences of that is that I really want to know the Word of God. I want to be in it. Because I know that's where I'll get life. You will also notice in this text that the apostles did what God called them to do. They gave them the word of God. That continues to be my role. Ephesians 4, Christ gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? All the ministry? No. To equip his people to do ministry. So that the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become ultimately what? 
mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul's going to write a letter later in the New Testament to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's going to give him a number of challenges. But one of the main challenges is Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. There's going to come a day, Timothy, when they won't want to hear it. They'll want feel-good messages. They'll want to walk in feeling blue. And they want to walk out feeling good. They're going to want their ears tickled, Timothy, or Paul will say to Timothy. They're just going to want things that... Sound okay, but don't call me too much. And Paul said, no, you can't do that, Timothy. you got to preach the word. One of the things that I love doing, obviously, is preaching the word, staying in the word. I feel I don't do well, to be really honest with you, on topical messages, uh, family, and, and those kinds of things I really enjoy doing. But one of the things I love doing and obviously have been doing for the last number of years is spending time in the Word of God. First sign of repentance, one of the first signs of a spirit-filled group of people, and one of the things you ought to look for when you're trying to make a decision is, am I in a group of people who really honestly do want to know the Word of God? Second thing, a heart for the people of God. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. All believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, came together in one another's homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You'll see a similar section of Scripture in Acts chapter 4. It may be on the screen where it said, All believers had one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared what they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were nearly no needy persons at all. That would mean that if the church was functioning as it was intended to do, we probably wouldn't have some of the systems that government has to do. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to the, uh, of the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, distributed it to anyone in need. One of the primary words for this type of fellowship, we don't always use that word, you don't usually say, hey, we're going to eat and park for fellowship. We just say we're going to eat and park for food. You want to come along? We'd love to have you. Love to get to know you, whatever that may be. But one of the famous words that have been bantered around for years for this word fellowship is koinia. In the 70s and 80s, when a lot of people were coming to faith in Christ and the churches were growing, a lot of them called themselves or their fellowship groups koinia groups. It really means partnership or having something in common. Now, they had a number of things in common. One thing they had in common was the same Jesus. They all saw themselves standing in need of the same mercy, the same grace, the same forgiveness, and every one of them knew they needed it. There's no looking down at anyone. The foot of the cross is the divine leveler of humanity. You get that? That's a powerful statement. The foot of the cross is the divine leveler of humanity. Peasants and kings, Jew and Greek, men and women, rich and poor, black and white, no one better than anyone else, everyone standing in need of the same grace. And from that theological perspective comes the way we relate to other people. You see it all over those two sections of Scripture. They shared together. They laughed together. They probably talked a lot about where they were in their journey with God. They broke bread in one another's homes. They shared with one another. A lot of time it was common meals. You see that in those verses as well. In most cases, they were house churches. 
They have large gatherings like this. They're a brand new church. Man, it's only a, a few weeks old. So it's not like they had tons of buildings all around. They invited everyone to their homes. And little church groups grew up and started out of that. And they fellowshiped together in one another's homes. They cared about each other. I also believe that verse 42 refers to the communion they had with one another. When we share communion, like we did a week or so ago, one of the things we always tell you is to do what Jesus said. Remember me. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, I'd love for you to remember me. I always say, how could we forget? But we all know that it's easy to do. And so we ask you, remember him. The other thing that goes in common with communion or comes a part of communion is the fact that we're all now, because of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ that we're sharing, a part of the family of God. Paul takes those two emblems in Corinthians and talks a lot about it. But one of the things he says in 1 Corinthians 10 is, because of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that we all share, we're all part of the same family. That's an incredible fact to remember. We're brothers and sisters in Christ because of the blood of Jesus. Here at Community Alliance Church, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Christians in other communities of faith who know Jesus as Savior, not just because they go to church, but know Jesus as Savior, are part of the family of God. I loved, I so missed Dave Panther, and I loved our relationship. But one of the things that I valued and treasured about my relationship with Dave is that we were partners, not competitors. And that's a huge difference sometimes in churches, how we feel we're competing against one another for members. Every single church in this community were filled to capacity. There would still be people outside the doors of those churches who needed Jesus. We're not competitors. We're partners sharing the gospel of Christ. Sometimes it's so easy for churches to look down on one another because we don't do this different or they do that different and we don't do this the same. And if they know Christ as Savior, we're part of the family of God. And I love that in this context here. I think one of the reasons that the communion passage, I find it fascinating, that the communion passage in 1 Corinthians 11 was written to a church still arguing the disciples' argument, who's the greatest? Every time Jesus left those guys on their own, they're arguing about who's the greatest. I've often wondered, why did you leave after three years and you left those guys in charge? And when the Spirit of God landed on them and they fully submitted themselves to him, who's the greatest didn't matter anymore. And you'll notice that all the way through these sections of Scripture. Every one of us have different roles, different functions, different responsibilities in the body of Christ, but we still need the same grace. And communion is such a great reminder of that. And understanding that, we want to share what we have with our brothers and sisters in need in verse 45. Our Western culture speaks so much of individualism instead of community. In our society and culture, we can easily move to holding on to things so tightly we don't want to let go. And it's one of the things that frustrate you about your kids, right? When they're constantly saying what? Mine. When the Spirit of God lands on a group of people, being mine isn't the thing that drives me. I, I just live life with open hands and want to share what I have. You don't give everything away. It's one of the reasons that you have to tie in Acts 4. It's not that they gave everything away so that now 
every member in the church was poor because they gave all their money away. Acts 4 describes it even better when it says if anyone had extra, they were able to do what was necessary to fill in the gap to help people who had a need. Sometimes that's a picture of how God sees us. That people were holding on so tight when he said, I want you to be people who just are willing to whenever I call you to, to let go, to give. Spirit-filled people and spirit-filled churches are able to let go of stuff a little bit easier. They recognize the needs around them and they do whatever they can, whether it be at a local church or around the world. At the end of the message this morning, we're going to take a benevolent offering. We do it every so often here and you don't have to, but it's an opportunity for you to to participate, to give some money. And want us to put in the offering plate, taken together, and the deacons distribute it. One of the changes, dramatic changes we made here at Community Alliance is we want to do what this section of Scripture says, and Paul does as well. We want to minister to the household of faith. We want to help one another at Community Alliance Church when there's a need. For years, we've become nothing more than a social agency or another social agency. And, and for the last year or so, we've, we've tried to say we want to help people who are a part of our family and encourage them and love on them and do what we can to, to lift them up. And so this benevolent offering that we take every so often goes into the deacon's fund and helps do that. It's just simply an obedience to what you see here in this section of Scripture. It's not only locally, but around the world. When we have extra or we, we see a need and, and something in us says, I want to meet that need, and we do that. Any of you remember a number of years ago, Jason Olstrander came here. We had a number of people from Nyack and the uh, surrounding area. And we talked about people in Africa needing fresh water. Do you all remember that? About three years ago. I spent the last three years trying to say, did we ever do those wells or not? There they are. These are the wells that Community Alliance Church has done and have been a part of in Burkina Faso, one of the nations that desperately need pure water. I want you to see this next picture a moment. That basin is full of water. It's hard to tell in that picture, but the reason they sent us that picture is so clear because it's clear water. They've been drinking water that you couldn't see the bottom of for the last number of years. In three of these villages that we've been able to build the wells in, they've in one case put the well or the water was so near where animals were, people were getting sick constantly. So we've been able to do these three wells in communities. The first one is a large population where there are 1,500 people who on a regular basis are using that well in that little village alone. People are coming to faith in Christ. They're using it as an outreach. In one village, (coughs) they had been given some land to put the well on about 50 yards from the church. And a guy who was selling dirty water put a curse on them so that the well wouldn't produce. And what I love about God is he's not intimidated by the enemy at all. Matter of fact, they said that well produced at 90 feet instead of going much deeper than that, so much so that water was literally gushing out of it. Just once again, God's saying, enemy, do what you want, just so you know I am more powerful than you. You and I have had the opportunity to see people come to faith in Christ that we will never see until we're standing around the throne of God because you decided at that moment in time it impacted your heart 
And you said, I'd love to see that happen. And so we were able to dig three wells in three communities and villages of people that we'll probably never get to. But seeing God do some amazing things. One of the evidences of a spirit-filled church is that they recognize the needs around them. They're concerned for people. They want to do whatever they can. That's that group of people. BCC is Butler Community Church. It's that group of people sending a picture and thanking Community Alliance for what they participated in. And someday when you're standing around the throne, you're looking at them and say, hey, I'm from Community Alliance. They'll say, I was from a little village in West Africa that you never, ever got to, but I just wanted to say thanks. Now we have all eternity to spend time giving glory to God. You know one of the signs of a spirit-filled church? They don't compare, they don't compete, they don't criticize, they cooperate. They don't compare, they don't compete, they don't criticize, they cooperate. They recognize needs, they encourage one another, and they do everything they can to make everyone feel they're a part of the family of God. You come to church on Sunday morning, do you know everyone? Of course not. In a large church, it's almost impossible to do. My encouragement to you is to not wait for the greeters or the welcome center or someone else to make other people feel welcome. Take that responsibility on yourself. When you go to get up this morning and leave, look for someone you don't know. The natural instinct is to look for my friends because I haven't seen them since last Sunday morning. But look for someone you don't know and just go up and say, Hi, my name is John. My name is Denny. My name is Betty. How long have you been coming here? And they may have said since the Apostle Paul left. That's fine. Or they may say, This is my very first Sunday here. You know me. I've introduced myself to you the last 17 weeks. That's okay. I, I know I say it over and over again, but Chick-fil-A is selling chicken sandwiches, for heaven's sakes, and they're one of the friendliest places I've ever been to. The church ought to be the absolute friendliest place anyone has ever experienced because of what we offer and because of the God that we love and the Jesus that we adore, and we just want to share that. So encourage one another. Don't wait for someone else to do the greeting. Look for new faces, new people, and encourage them to come in. Third thing in this text is communion with God. They were devoted to prayer. They were praising God, not out of habit or ritual. Isaiah 29 says, you know, your lips are moving, but your hearts aren't in it. And this text, as we saw last week, when I'm really broken, and I know I need a Savior, I know I want to get connected to God, I want to commit my life to Him, And I want to stay connected to him. One of the ways to do that is in prayer. To have conversations with God. One-on-one and corporately as well. But I want to stay connected to God. I want to praise him for all he's done. It's not a matter of style. The key to worship is not picking the right songs or the right style. It's having the right heart. I want to praise God. You know why? Why? Because once I was blind and now I see. Once I was lost and now I'm found. And I can't tell God enough how delighted I am that now I see and now I've been found. A sense of awe. And God was doing some amazing things by people who were honest about their connectivity to God. And finally, the fourth thing you'll notice, they had a heart for the lost. 
It wasn't people coming to faith in Christ at a church service or an altar call or big crusades. Those things are awesome. But look at what it said in verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People not coming to faith in Christ at large crusades, but people telling their story to everyone they met. This is what Jesus did for me. I just want to tell you what God did for me. I want to tell you how Jesus changed my life. And that was attractive to people. They wanted to know that. They didn't care about worship style or the style of a building. They just wanted to know, is Jesus real? Is Christianity real? It absolutely is. Let me just tell you the story. And everywhere they went, everyone they met or had some kind of connection to, they shared the story with. And you'll notice this church continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. I don't want to ask you to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. But i got to believe that every single one of us in this room knows someone who's lost. Not lost because they don't have a GPS or they're a guy and won't ask for directions. They're lost because they don't know Jesus. I kind of believe all of us know someone who's lost, who really doesn't know Jesus. A church that really understands that and people who really understand that want to do everything they can to help them find their way. I said to you a number of months ago in, in December and then a few months after that, that by the year 15, 2015, September of 2015, I'd love for us to be a church of 1,500. Just makes sense, 15 by 15. People say, well, you're all about numbers. You know what? Yep. Because you know why? They represent people. It's not about making us look good or how large we are or how many people come to our services. But it's about people who are lost. And without Jesus, they'll be lost forever. And I don't want that weight when I know the truth. And I know I know people that are lost. I know you do as well who desperately know Christ. It all begins at the cross when we ask the Spirit of God to control our lives, to fill us, and empower us. Bill Hybels, in his book, Courageous Leadership, makes one of the best statements about the church I've ever read. I want to end that way. There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. It was a band of Christ followers, believers who loved one another with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks, they shared their lives with each other, they laughed, they cried, they prayed, they sang, and they served. Those who had more shared with those who had less. And so all the barriers were broken down. Acts 2 tells us of this community of believers, this church that offered unbelievers a vision of life so beautiful it took their breath away. So bold, so creative, so dynamic they couldn't resist it. He said, for eight years I went to Washington, D.C. every month to meet with the foremost centers of power and with some of the highest elected officials in our country. What I discovered is not how powerful they were, but how limited their power really is. I mean, all they can honestly really do is rearrange the yard markers on the playing field of life. They can't change a human heart. They can't heal a wounded soul. They can't turn hatred into love. They cannot bring repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and grace. I scrolled through every other notion I could think of, considering what they had to offer. Business and can, businessmen can offer jobs and educators knowledge and self-help products and programs, incredible help for people and psychology and understanding of who I am. But they really can't transform the human heart. 
I believe only one power on this planet can do that. It is the power of the love of Jesus. A love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds. That reconciles enemies, patches broken dreams, and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And what grips my heart every single day is that the knowledge of that radical message of transforming love has been given to the church. There's nothing like the local church when it comes to working right. Its beauty can be indescribable. Its power breathtaking. Its potential unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the brokenhearted in the context of community. It bridges gaps between people. It helps the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It frees the oppressed and it offers a place to belong to the marginalized of this world. No greater organization on the church on the earth has the power and potential to do what the church does. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that that can really make a difference for all eternity? No church is perfect. My goodness, no church is perfect. We're certainly not. We join with thousands of believers down through the ages that have so much potential, it can blow your mind. Looking for a good church? If you want to be honest and measure ours, those are four great qualities you ought to look for. Father, we thank you for your word. It really is alive. Your love can spill all over the place into the lives of people that really do want to make a difference. And so, Father, as we take this offering this morning and know that as we take our hands off a little bit of money, somebody's life could be changed for just a moment. And that moment could be turned into days and days into months and months into dreams that become realized. All because for a moment in time, I took the excess that I had and I shared it with someone. So in these next two services and as people give, I trust that you will bless Father, we have so much potential as a church. I'm overwhelmed and unbelievably blessed to be a part of this one for such a long period of time. Help us to live up to our potential. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.